From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, just me this week, Brian, uh, wasn't able to make it, but we have a, a great guest, and, and we're kind of really going back into to somewhere we, we've been dipping our toe in and out of over the years, um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about building and deploying uh, cloud-native applications today. And, and for that conversation, I have Mark Holmes, VP of Marketing at Chef. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm great, thanks, and thanks for having me on the show, Aaron. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so, first of all, welcome to the show, but let's dive right into your background a little bit, because I, I, I feel like our backgrounds actually are, are somewhat similar in our paths here. You've been at, at Chef for a couple years now, um, and, and you were previously at, at Docker and, and actually several other kind of emerging tech companies. Give us a little bit of perspective on where you see the market uh, today and, and all of these kind of rapid transitions of technology we've been going through. Uh, yeah, so let, let's start with a big question, I guess. Right? So, um, you know, certainly I've specialized in uh, open source uh, and emerging technology companies and at a, at a platform level. And those are the things that have motivated me. So I, I suppose I look, look at it through the lens of that experience. And I think there's two answers to this question, right? The, the first is that to someone like me who's worked in this space for a while now, it's actually almost hard to describe the change because it's you know affected everything on every level. And I think that I've, what I've seen generally is if I started out, when I started out in open source, I w- I've seen a change from, okay, you know, we love open source, it's cool, but I'm not sure we can rely on it, to I'm not sure we can buy it, but I like it, uh, to now, you know, I'm not sure we can justify not buying it owing to the you know, competitive advantage he gives the seamless scale and pace of innovation provided by open source. And so what you see now, of course, is uh, open source is both the way in which enterprises want to consume software, but also they now understand how to buy it, but they also understand how and, w- and also want to contribute back to it. And it's a real competitive speed benefit to them. And oftentimes, I mean, as you see at any show, it's a huge recruitment benefit as well. You know, we use technology X, come, come join us. And I think the state of the market, like Mike Olson uh, from the Hadoop world, you know, I was a competitor of his back then, wrote a well-known post called the Cloudera model um, in the middle of that market growth. And in there he stated, you know, you can no longer win with a closed platform. And I think that basically summarizes where we are as an industry from a sort of open source enterprise uh, platform uh, software perspective. And the second is, you know, from a customer perspective, the phrase, I guess, is William Gibson, right, which is the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. And the reality for teams and businesses tackling the sorts of things that you know I get involved in, so infrastructure and applications, is that it's just incredibly complicated. There is an evolution along, like I call it the three Ds, evolution along three lines. Density, so this shift basically from physical to virtual machines to containers. Distribution, so moving from sort of monoliths to microservices, or at least some, you know, some, some middle ground on that. And diversity, so I'm moving from on-premises to the cloud, and I'm moving to devices, and there's IoT concerns, and so on and so forth. And so every Every business is gradually shifting along each of those dimensions, some, you know, some faster than others, and some of those dimensions are faster than others. But they're moving to the cloud, they're moving to containers, they're moving to more distributed application architectures over time. And so what that means is 
you know, increasingly heterogeneous environments. And so there's huge benefits of scale and there's accessibility services that provide that scale. But the challenge is that it's another thing to manage. And so when I say things like heterogeneous, it makes it sound like it's some kind of planned future um, and it's a great strategy. But from a DevOps or an ops perspective or an application team's perspective, then of course it looks like, you know, we're doing all the things all the time and we're on fire, please help. And, you know, that's where, that's where we fit in and that's how, that's how I see the market right now. That's a huge opportunity for um, vendors like ourselves, uh, but it's also just a huge opportunity to go solve. Yeah. And also a couple different points there to, to kind of pick out. So first of all, bonus points for William Gibson quote in the middle of it. You, you always get bonus points when you work that in. Um, <laughs> but but so one thing I, I find really interesting that you mentioned there was this this idea around recruiting and employment and a little bit around careers. Like I will say, you know, it's only within the last couple of years for me personally, where I've gone to shows, you know, where at these large events, you see vendors that are there and they're with a booth, but it is nothing more than to recruit people in the industry to, um, and along those lines of, yes, it is because of these open models. It is because of these, these open communities and, and everything that is being enabled because of it. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And that I want to transition into a little bit about our backgrounds here. So, so we both come from, pretty technical backgrounds. And we found ourselves over time being more and more customer facing and eventually moving into kind of the business and marketing side of things. And so let me ask you, how has that transition been for you personally? And and what motivated your change to go from, you know, somebody who's very, very technical, who's, you know, a a dirty marketing person by trade now? (laughs) I appreciate that. I certainly resemble that remark. So I I run product marketing for, you know, my day job is product marketing for a big big hardware vendor. So that's why I I lump myself in the same boat as you. (laughs) Yeah, we we can revel in that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that you also did me a service by saying what motivated you to make the change. Because, you know, I I joke that if I had an autobiography would be be called, like, backed into it. uh, Because, you know, if I was to tell you I had any kind of career plan, uh, I'd be lying. You know, I I was going to be a doctor. I eventually studied computer science and AI before I ditched those studies and you know ironically actually worked as an actual chef uh, before <laughs> before becoming an engineer again so I kind of gone full circle back to chef right um, so you know it, it, I think what what I, my observation when I was an engineer, I was a reasonable engineer. I, I don't think I was a great one. Uh, and I was never sure that I could be really, really great. And of course, I, you know, you want to excel in the field you're in. Um, and, and also, I was at the application end of things. And I, I preferred not to solve direct application problems. I preferred to solve sort of framework problems. That's how it's kind of how I think. And so um, that was a sort of, you know, part of my career. Where I was like, I'm not sure that's exactly the right track. But also, I found myself in a position where I was okay at explaining things like conceptual architectures and before product management existed as a discipline, but just really describing the use cases and what are the benefits of this particular technology. So I sort of ended up with opportunities you know, driven by the need to do that, and whether that was talking to internal stakeholders when I was an engineer, but then later as a blogger, as I got interested in those things, and then as I became an advocate for Microsoft or an evangelist, as they call them then, um, and so that communication begins to take over, and then eventually you, know, you end up in a marketing role, and it's really just doing that same thing over and over again, which is just communicating 
communication and trying to provide some clarity to the concept, you know, to deep technical concepts. And I think the connecting thread in that, if there is some sanity to the career is, you know, I, I think what I love is the game. So I, I like unlocking puzzles, whether that's a low level or a high level and whether it's in code or not, you know, building the next thing or the next piece of the thing. And then from that, you know, building out new theories, testing those out, adjusting based on inputs and recognizing patterns for failure, but certainly patterns for success, which is actually something people are pretty good at identifying sometimes. And you know, as an engineer, that's what guides you most of the day. Yeah, that, that that makes fantastic sense. And it it's a very similar journey as well. And I, I think a lot of our listeners are probably on various paths in that journey. You know, the t- typically uh, folks that, you know, start out in one area and then kind of move on and it's a little bit of concentric circles and, and moving over to the next thing and the next thing, you know, probably early on in your career, making that jump to, to marketing would have been, you know, un- un- unheard of and not possible. Um, I think it's right. I think like if you look at uh, marketing these days, it's split very clean along the lines of messaging and math and so that actually suits the creativity combined with logic and actually those are really the attributes of a good engineer and so you know moving to technical marketing and moving to you know strategic marketing is i think much more valid for that way of thinking these days for sure yeah absolutely so let's talk about um um chef for a little while and and a little bit of this in practice right so chef recently uh introduced habitat which I'll be honest, you know, in what I've read about it so far is is a fairly large uh, rethink um, from previous platforms. You know, if I think of, of Chef historically, I think more of automation at the infrastructure level, and this seems more directed at the application level and a little bit more of moving into, you know, a different market, market different audience. So for those that, that aren't familiar with Habitat, tell us a little bit about what it is and what problem it's trying to solve. Um, yeah, look, I think you did some justice there. And of course, now I've set myself up for failure by saying I'm a great around, communicator around technical concepts. So I'll do my best. I, I think, you know, first of all, you hit some... You hit the nail on the head with this. This is about a shift in modality is the way I think about it. And if you consider what's happening um, from an application or software delivery perspective in the large, what you're seeing is, of course, catalyzed by cloud and containers and to a lesser extent sort of distributed architectures. There's this shift from what I would call infrastructure-centric operations to application-centric operations. And what that really means is where the unit of value in the past was the server, um, that's now moved to the app. And the unit of work, which you know, which was a configuration or you know, some such, is now moving to so the idea of a deployment. And I think what happens gradually in the industry over time is you get a lot of these modal shifts, and we'll see another one. And it will move away from the idea of basic containers and so on, and all those sorts of things will happen. And so, how do we address those modal shifts? Is really the design point for Habitat. And so, at a high level, uh, Habitat just addresses the jobs to be done for application automation, um, supposing that you're moving to that, that particular modality. So, what that means is answering questions like, how do I consistently package, build, deploy, manage an app? Um, and very specifically, how do I do that anywhere and do it in probably a cloud-native manner? And what's, you know, what's, what's the best way, to ach- best way to achieve that? And there are, indis- you know, there are discrete tool chains and individual tool chains for any given platform. But again, if you think about sort of Chef and what it really stands for and how do we solve these things for enterprises, no one has those kind of monocultures. They have more complicated problems, those hybrid environments I mentioned, and how do they how do they go fix for that stuff? And so we were able to step back. And so as the market was growing around containers and all those runtimes and so on, we were able to step back and go say, well, what does an enterprise really need to make that shift to cloud native successful, but on their terms? And it turns out that you know we think that means consistency in application packaging. It means flexibility in app deployment, so I can put this thing anywhere, and then a way of managing those apps in, a, in any chosen environment in a consistent way too. 
Um, so that's the sort of high level, and I you know dive into that a little bit. Uh, if you look at what Habitat is, you know it's a it's a binary. It sits on your laptop. Um, you can take an app and you would declare a backspace plan file. We call it a plan file. You basically declare an app and its full set of dependencies, anything from the code and libraries and frameworks it needs to uh, the services that's going to be connected to it to ports that are going to be exposed and so on and so forth. And alongside that, you can put some configuration. And because we have that information, rather than thinking about layering on an OS, like you would, if you think about Docker, for instance, you're building a Docker file where you start with the OS and, and layer on top of that, what we have is because we have the full dependencies declared, we can build a minimally viable sort of OS underneath that and concentrate simply on the app and the dependencies and automation that it needs uh, to run itself. And so from that, you get kind of a few benefits that sort of um, cascade out of each other. The first is that we've now separated the idea of what it takes to package an app from the deployment target that it's ultimately going to be a part of. So, of course, if you declare a raw Docker file, that's a totally valid thing to do. But if you do that, you're making some assertions about the infrastructure that thing's going to end up on or the format that thing's going to end up in. Uh, with Habitat, you don't do that. You simply say, this is what the app needs to run. And so from there, we can build this uh, effectively what are immutable build artifacts that have these intermediate stages with that full package and collection of dependencies. And then you can defer the decision-making around where you're going to export that until the time of your choosing. So you simply say, you know, go build my thing, and then later go export my thing. And maybe that's going to be a, a Docker uh, container, or maybe it's going to be uh, a tarball, or a, you know, you, I'm going to push directly to a runtime like Cloud Foundry or, or, or Kubernetes. Um, and so that's pretty interesting because it's less opinionated. It allows devs to describe their application, but it doesn't force ops to work in one specific way. And so ironically, by keeping them slightly separate and having a clear separation of concerns, you bring them closer together. So there's a huge amount of value up front there. Um, what happens then, of course, is because we're building this application with its full set of dependencies, we're able to put, we call it the Habitat Supervisor. It's an agent which runs inside a packaged app with Habitat. That supervisor can use all of that knowledge, too, to do things like topology management, to run update strategies, to perform health checks. And those supervisors operate in rings. They use the gossip protocol, so they spread rumors and so on and so forth. Um, and those service groups themselves can be composed. And so you can build distributed architectures on your terms in any of these runtime environments um, in a consistent way. And so that's the, you know, the, the value proposition of Habitat there. Now, of course, you can achieve some of those things on an individual platform in any given context. But what we're tackling here is this idea that you can do this generically in any environment. Uh, and that's a big deal. And we, we see customers with those kinds of issues and uh, dive into that. I was talking to a customer the other day. It's a very big manufacturer, and they are tr they they want to run Cloud Foundry, as a for instance, and they have some Cloud Foundry. But in the context of the application they're trying to run, Cloud Foundry is not viable for them. But they still want those same capabilities, and so you know Habitat can help solve for that. And we're working with those folks to do those things. So lots to unpack there. Um, but well, yeah, it's a big. You're right. <laughs> but a big let, I'm actually gonna. I'll ask, I'll ask some more follow up questions. But let me ask you. Kind of a, a you know one that may be jumping out at everyone right now, and and that's the 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 simple idea of okay, Chef historically has been known for its config management tools, and like you said, you know think of it more as the infrastructure layer. But as we you know move to a, a container based world, as we move to an apl application centric world, some folks will say, hey, now that we have containers, and, and since they technically really describe everything within them. You know, how do you really like is the the concept of config management even needed 
anymore, right? How do you respond to those type of arguments of, well, I have containers, I don't need you? Yeah, you know, I think that's you know, it's a fine sentiment, and and I, I I don't take issue with the with the sentiment. I take issue with the reality. You know, like I've been in technology long enough to understand that things just don't change like that. Um, and you know, our own customer survey from the start of the year, and this is obviously people who are biased towards you know reasonable, forward-thinking, progressive technology. Percentages of those people, big percentages of those people, are saying, "Hey, we're, we're experimenting with the containers. We want to move that direction." Woohoo! We're all in on that stuff. And uh, but at the same time, a similar percentages of people are saying, we, "We're delighted to be moving from our bare metal to a virtual machine environment." Right. You know, so the market's always in multiple positions, and so that's not sort of to be defensive about the idea that look, people are moving to container-first and cloud-first environments. It's just that the market opportunity is enormous, and so there is. You know, everyone needs all of these things in different ways. So it's not really true that you know configuration management goes away. In fact, it's like a key aspect of most IT departments and you know continues to grow. I mean, as an opportunity for us, it's huge. Um, it's just that, yeah, sure, people are basically pointing out there's an aspire to state where everything will be on this, you know, container and cloud-based environment. Because by the time they get there, that will have changed too, and there'll be another thing. And you know, that's why we're in technology and we love these things, right? Right. Um, right. But I do think that the two key points in there is the first is there's some practical stuff, which is sort of what I said, which is none of these, none of those original issues go away. Uh, but also, if you're working on-prem and you're taking things like, I don't know, you take Kubernetes and you're taking that raw and you're taking it from a vendor and you're trying to do it yourself, then you know, you have the same configuration management issues you always had because, you know, Kubernetes doesn't run in the ether, it runs on tin and you have to do those things too. And so that might be a minor use case, but it's still a use case within your within your enterprise IT portfolio. And then the second is the modal shift thing, as I said, you know, yeah, things move on. And so when you say configuration management is needed, well, that's only true if you take the definition of configuration management to be what it means inside infrastructure modalities. If it's an application modality, configuration management is needed, but it's a different from tool set of mindset or activity or set of activities and so you know chef addresses infrastructure habitat addresses apps and there'll be next thing and we'll address that too sure yeah it, for me it's it's all about consumption models and and you having the ability to really meet them what at, at whatever consumption model they want now you also mentioned kubernetes and you mentioned cloud foundry so let's go there for a second um you know, we, we see that Habitat is it has integration um, for platforms like Cloud Foundry and Kubernetes. How, what is your uh, what are you seeing um, as the uptake of these platforms in the market, and, and what's what are what's driving their adoption? What are the common use cases you're seeing there as well? Yeah, you're right. Good, great question. I think that that pulls together a couple of things I was saying, which is sort of hey. Of course, people are adopting. People are in so you know constant stages of adopting along, like I said, those three. Lines diversity, distribution, and density. And so there's some basic advantages that people are perceiving there. And so, you know, people are moving that direction gradually. The under, you know, well, I suppose the overarching issue is is this idea of just digital transformation. And that's a really, I don't like that term. Even as a marketer, I'm like, oh man, you know, I roll my eyes when I hear people say digital transformation. But it's also very real. You know, enterprises are out there to compete and competition is difficult. And they are being tasked with very simple ideas. How do I get from idea to ship as fast as possible and certainly faster than my competitors? And so anything that they perceive that will give them competitive advantage to do that and do that at increasing scale and do it with speed and efficiency and less risk, they'll go adopt. Um, and you know, of course, you know, there'd be some technology curiosities underneath all of that. But the reality for a business is what's going to make us be able to ship this value um, more quickly. Uh, and so that's what's driving a lot of a lot of the adoption here. And then there are specific, you know, there are certainly some great use cases that are just really obvious. And I think these are really trivial uses of these platforms. But obviously, if you have a horizontal scale out web app, then it makes a lot of sense to start putting that into containers and distributing that in those kind of runtimes. Um, but quite, you know, quite honestly, again, most enterprises are dealing with, well, we build a horizontal web. 
scale layer, but it needs to talk to this ancient system and they've got to tackle those issues. Um, so it's, you know, there was a mixed set of workloads driving that, but I think the, the, you know, the overarching issue, as I say, is that people feel like that's going to push them towards digital transformation more quickly. People are also using, you know, it's worth noting, you know, customers have multiple cloud native architectures and they're not looking to consolidate those things. You know, I was talking to, again, another customer and they have basically VMs. I think they're running on an EC2. Um, they have Mesos, which they're using big, for big data workloads. They have Cloud Foundry and Kubernetes, um, you know, again, for workloads as they choose them. And I said, well, you know, what are you consolidating on? <laughs> I thought it was an interesting question. He's like, what do you mean? We're not consolidating those things. That's that's how we're going to do this. Uh, and so and they're going to continue to just grow out the workloads as they see, as, as they see fit for sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, fitting the platform to the workload, which makes perfect sense. And it's, it's definitely something I'm seeing in, in the customers I talk to going forward as well is there is no one platform or there is no one way to do all of these. It is the more a little bit of the more options, the better and and, and fitting them to the platforms. Now, and along those lines, let, let's talk about Habitat Builder for a second. Um, so you have you have Habitat, but then there's uh, Habitat Builder, which was just introduced, and how does that fit under the Habitat umbrella, and how does that different, and 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 also how does it interoperate with with some of these platforms since it is a SaaS based offering? Yeah, that's right. And, and look, I think in a nutshell, that that is what it is. It's a service over the top of uh, Habitat, uh, and so of course, what we've been doing with Habitat specifically for the past 12, 12, 15 months is working pretty deeply with customers to realize some of these more complicated um, heterogeneous environments, and can you know Habitat match up to that, and can it solve specific problems and so two things you know first is we've obviously seen some success with that but secondly that has enabled us to kind of mature the underlying habitat technology uh, pretty well um, so that's you know been great for habitat but what we haven't done is introduce that particularly to a very broad audience um, so having a SaaS service like builder just allows us to you know uh, take it out see if the same lessons that were applied at depth apply at breadth maybe they're not or maybe there's new things as well uh, but equally of course because it's a service you can offer a bunch of convenience which will help you know teams you know, go build apps. And so as a simple, for instance, um, Habitat Builder, uh, you can connect GitHub at one end so you can, you know, run direct from source code to trigger automatic builds. And at the other end, you can export direct to Docker Hub if you wanted to. And we'll build out, you know, more of those capabilities on either side of those things. So of course, you get that nice sassy um, workflow uh, capability too. Um, the uh, other thing it does is because it's a SaaS service, we can do actually automated builds versus you needing to you know use Habitat and connect it to some other build environment. And in particular, because of the way that we do this explicit dependency declaration, one of the key bits of value with Habitat Builder is that if you've taken a dependency on some upstream component and it's patched or updated or whatever, we can trigger uh, automated re builds for the downstream and so that's kind of a big deal you know you're, you're always up to always up to date you're going to avoid any nasty security holes um you you've got this explicit knowledge of what's going on with your application and so you can ask it the right questions and and so on and so forth so it's a yeah you know in, in a nutshell it's a SaaS service across the top of habitat um it doesn't you know it's not fully connected up to every single runtime right now although habitat itself is and you can simply use builds to do the builds and then if you want to say hey i want to push this out to you know, kubernetes or cloud foundry you can use the cli and talk to the repo and uh, and do exactly that and hook that up to uh, your CICD processes and so on. Very nice. Very nice. Mark, one final question. We are kind of getting towards uh, the end of our time. As you're engaging with more companies that are building cloud native applications, I wanted to you know pick on that one for a little bit because like, like you were saying, right, as things are moving to more application centric, but then there almost seems to be two models as people are changing platforms. There's the, you know, the good old lift and shift, which everyone rolls their eyes, but, but tends to be popular because it's easier, right? I don't have to change the operations. I just have to change the platform to true 
cloud native. And so, and I, what I found is that seems to be much more challenging because just for a variety of different reasons, cultural reasons, you know, political reasons, technology reasons, skill sets within your company reasons, it just goes on and on. And so what are some of the things that, that when you're talking to customers that make them more successful with these new application types and new operation models and, and, and new types of cultures? What, what what are some of the advice you give and some of the things you see out there? Yeah, there's, there's a ton of truth in what you're saying there. And, and, that, and of course, what's happening as people move to cloud native is they want to get there because they consider it to be a great aspirational state. But it is adding more burden at this point in time, even if it's intended to simplify because it's it, it's another thing to do. And so how do you, you know, how do you unpack that? Well, one of the challenges that people have... Um, uh, have been suffering with, for instance, this move is it's, it's you sort of have to eat all of the elephant at once. And that's been a problem. And customers that I've talked to, and what's one of the most interesting things about Habitat is one of its simplest and most innocuous bits of value, which is that simple separation of, I want to be able to package my apps consistently, but I don't want to force myself to have to go cloud native at this point in time. It's turning out to be a big deal. And uh, some of the customers we're working with, which is, this is great. I can teach my teams that we're going to package in this way, but you're not forcing me to make that decision. Uh, and I can make that on my terms. And so we actually think that will really help with things like lift and shift and lift and modernize because I can do the lift and the shift actually slightly separately, which is, you know, again, makes it more, uh, makes it more palatable, frankly. So um, there's that technological element to it. Um, the other side is, you know, hey, we talk a lot about technology, but, you know, Chef is uh, all about great teams, you know, great culture, great process. And one of my favorite parts of being at Chef, and it's something, you know, you work at any company and they say we have great culture and so on and so forth, is Chef lives those beliefs and in quite a surprising way. It even surprised me. You know, you hear those things, you go, well, that, that's pretty interesting. Um, but they live those beliefs. And we develop our own products in a highly collaborative, you know, fashion with great culture. But we like to take those things out. We like to listen. We like to share those best practices. And actually building that, building the right culture for this kind of software delivery uh, really matters. You know, um, again, I'll you know, hark back to surveys and stuff. But you can see in the surveys that workloads for ops and dev teams are outstripping the headcount for those teams. And so how do you come together efficiently with tools, but efficiently to work together? You know, and that's some of the original principles of agile and DevOps type thinking is still absolutely vital. You know, you're not going to be able to tech your way out of a bad situation there. It makes perfect sense. And I think we should close on that. There's a fantastic uh, kind of summary of everything we, t- we talked about today. So, Mark, if everyone uh, wanted to follow more about uh, what's going on either with Habitat or with you personally, what's the best way to uh, find out more and also to get in touch with you? Sure. You you can tweet me at uh, Mark. That's Mark with a C. Holmes, all one word. Um, I'm sure I'm not interesting enough to follow, but please do. And uh, if you want to try Habitat, which is much more interesting, then uh, Habitat.sh is the place to go and try it out there. Ah, SH. That's the, the new Cool Kids domain. I believe that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to uh, make it this week, uh, just wanted to say uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. And uh, thank you, Mark, for your time this evening. And uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.